Welcome to the Being Well Between Cultures podcast. I am Katerina and I'm so glad you're here. Let's go. Vamos. C'est parti. Have you ever felt like a foreigner in the country you were born and grew up in? I definitely have many times. And I still feel that way very often when I'm in Ecuador, my country of origin. This is a common experience for many expats, immigrants, and people with multicultural family backgrounds and intercultural lives, and it is not an easy one to navigate. I invited my friend Monica Stevanovic to chat with me about what it was like for her to grow up in the United States as the daughter of European immigrants, learning Polish instead of English as her first language. Monica is an electrical engineer turned embodiment and empowerment coach. She's also a certified Kundalini yoga teacher and founder of Harmonic Hearts. Wondering how that came to be? I talked to Monica about the turning points, experiences, and tools she came across and used on her transformational journey. And she also shared how she overcame her own mind blocks to allow her creative self to feel free to create her own music. As an embodiment and empowerment coach, Monica works with busy professionals who feel like something is missing in their lives and who want to do the deep interpersonal work to uncover their hidden gifts and live an authentic, joy-filled life. For the first 20 years of her career, Monica worked in the corporate world, where she was a sought-out consultant coaching the world's most prestigious Fortune 500 companies. Today, she uses her unique experience to teach her clients spiritual concepts with a practical approach, bridging the gap between science and spirituality. I walked away from my conversation with Monica feeling deeply inspired and with a strengthened belief that anything is possible. So I am super excited to share our chat with this community of multicultural souls, and I hope listening to this episode impacts your life in a very positive way. Hi, Monica. Welcome to the Being Well Between Cultures podcast. Thank you so much for accepting this invitation to be one of my conversation partners. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. It is so wonderful to reconnect with you. We, you know, met several years ago through a friend in common that we have. We were both living in Washington, D.C. at the time. And so it's so nice that now our lives are coming together again. We're reconnecting to do this experience. It's really what it is. And I am learning some new things about you in the process. <laughs> so I knew that you were born in Chicago. In Chicago, Illinois. So for our listeners who don't know um, a lot of the geography of the U.S., right? This is in the Midwest of the U.S. And it's actually where I live right now, which is funny because now you don't live here. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, no. Tell us where you live now. Um, I recently moved to Chattanooga, Tennessee, which is very different than Chicago. And something that I did know about you, Monica, is that you do have uh, a very rich intercultural, multicultural background. So tell us a little bit about that. You you were born here in the U.S. and you grew up in the U.S., but what yes. else? Yeah, so I was born in the U.S., but both of my parents immigrated to the U.S. Um, my mom was in her late 20s. My dad was in his early 30s, and my dad immigrated from Serbia, and my mother immigrated from Poland. And, um, and I was born in the States and it was really fascinating because 
um, you know, when I grew up, um, most of the people I interacted with were not local or were not native to the U.S. They were in similar situations to my parents because my parents' friends were other people that immigrated to the U.S. And even um, in school, because Chicago is very multicultural, Mm -hmm. um, most of the people, the friends I met there were also in similar situations. They either the the other class my other classmates either moved to the states when they were very young, mm-hmm. or um, they were born in the U.S. but were brought up by immigrant parents, and so it was a really fascinating. Um, it was really fascinating growing up in America, although it was like a combination of not really being in America because all everything that we did and all our food and all our customs were based on my parents, mm-hmm. um, where, where they where they came from. Mm-hmm. And so what what language did you mostly speak? Yeah, so I my very first language was Polish mm-hmm. and um and Serbian. And so I spoke both of those languages when I was very young. Mm-hmm. Um and and yeah, so at home that's all we spoke. We didn't my mom actually she made a conscious decision to not teach me English. And mm-hmm. I, I I remember her telling me this and she was like, ah, she lives in America. She'll learn English eventually. <laughs> yeah. And, um, and I love, and like right now I'm very, very grateful for it. And I believe there's also been studies that, you know, your vocal cords, they mm-hmm. stop developing at a certain age. I think it's around five years old. And so if mm-hmm. you ever want the opportunity, if, if you want to grow up Um, without an accent in a certain language, it's mm-hmm. important to make those sounds when you're very young. And so I'm very grateful that I got to speak different languages and have English um, mm-hmm. in my home environment so that I had exposure to all of it. Right, to all, to all three. And so did your parents speak English when they emigrated to the U.S.? Uh, well, it's actually a funny story on my mom's side. So my dad spoke some English Um, and he moved to America and, you know, he signed up for an English school here. My mom, my mom was a physician in Poland Mm. and she had a dream to become a doctor in America. And she had actually met my dad in Poland and he moved to America. And because he was able to come to America one day, he asked my mom to marry him. And then she said, yes, barely knowing him. And she moved to America. (laughs) And I asked my mom once I said, well, when did you start learning English? Mm-hmm. And she said, not till I got to America. And so she, my mom flew. She said that she was on the airplane and she landed and someone said, how are you? And she had no idea what they were, what they were <laughs> saying to her. And then she had no idea. And then my mom, the way that she learned English, because she was determined to become a doctor mm-hmm. in the United States. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so she came and she didn't speak the language and she, you know, came from a world where they did exams very differently. So in Poland, mm-hmm. um, they were all oral exams and in the States, in the United States, it's all a written exam, mm-hmm. uh, like a multiple choice exam. And, um, and so she had to figure out how to, how to, a do this exam in English and B do it in a new format and right, see like, right. how, like, well, how does this even look like, how do I even find this out? And she threw, you know, through a job that she, 
she got, she found someone who helped her find the questions. And she said she also started English school Mm -hmm. um, when she first moved to America. And she said it was so slow that Mm -hmm. they would like, they would like do only one piece of the book in like a week. And she was like, this is never going to work because this is way too slow. Right. So the way that, (laughs) yeah. And so the way that my mom learned to speak English, she translated medical terminologies from these practice exam questions from English to Polish. And so she would write down, like, look at the question. It would say like blood and kref. And she had like a, like a notebook where she would write down all the translations. And so through studying for the exams, she learned Mm -hmm. English. Wow. But she was also a very, she loved reading Mm -hmm. period. And so she just had this interest to learn. And so over time she, you know, passed her exams and did everything. And then she loved, started reading books in English and she loved it. And what an additional challenge to go through too, because the language that she was learning too was very technical in nature. You know, it was not just basic language to communicate and function on a daily basis. It was to take an exam to become a (laughs) physician. (laughs) But she was really, really clear on what her goal and her wish was and determined to get there. Oh, yes. My my mom, that story of what my mom did is so inspiring to me because she moved to America. She knew nobody here. She didn't, Mm -hmm. she knew my dad, but she barely knew my dad because they had met and hung out for three days. And then he moved to America and they wrote letters to each other. And in one of those letters, he asked her to marry him. <laughs> and she said yes. And so she moved to the States and she moved um, uh, in January of 1974 is when she mm-hmm. moved to the States. She didn't start working until March time frame at, at a lab. Mm-hmm. And she said, because I going back to like, when did you learn English? My mom was a very beautiful woman and she said she had no idea how she got through the interview and she went to the interview and like the man that was asking like the male interviewer was asking her questions and she said that she had no idea what he was asking her and she just smiled and said yes <laughs> like no and uh with charm she started, yeah she was she was very charming but she's she said she has no idea how she even got that first job and so she started working at a lab in the March timeframe of that same year. And that's when she was able to get all these exam questions. Mm. So she found a way through her network, how to get these exam questions. And she said that every day she would go to work from seven o'clock in the morning until maybe around three o'clock. And then she would come home and she would study from three until like midnight. And she did this every single day. And it was without fail. And she said there were times when she would wake up in the middle of the night. She was like, oh my gosh, what's the answer to that question? She would have to look it up. And it was- So her mind was like just working, right? Nonstop. (laughs) It was a complete obsession to to get this done. And when, um, and and on top of it, everybody around her was kind of discouraging her because they would tell her like, what like you're not going to ever pass these exams this other guy tried six times and he failed every single Mm. time Mm -hmm. and all these different things and she's like I'm just gonna try I'm gonna go for it and so she started studying in the March time frame when she got everything like all the test questions and then in December she took the exam and she went in 
the first time just to see what the experience was like, because it was, you know, there were multiple choice questions mm-hmm. that was different for her. And so she just went to see what the experience would be like. Yeah. And so then like she the got a run. <laughs> yeah. Sort of. And she passed the first time by two oh, points. Oh, that's beautiful. I, but then she I failed the English test, I think. <laughs> yeah, she failed. She, she failed the English test, so she had to start that one, do that one again. <laughs> but the important one, the right. medical test, she she got that one complete. Yeah, what an inspiring story, Monica. I this is this is one of those stories that I did not know about you and your family. So I I am just enjoying hearing this so much, and you have yeah. lots of inspiring stories to tell as well about your own journey. And so one thing I wanted to ask you, because you say, you know, English came later in your life, right? In your early, early childhood. Um, So once you started learning English, did that impact your other two languages that you already were using at home, Polish and and Serbian? Yes. Um, So my mom really wanted me to speak Polish. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that she put so much effort into it because, and it was a lot easier in Chicago because Chicago Mm -hmm. has a very a very large Polish population. Yeah. And so we had, you know, cause my parents worked all the time. And so we had a, a nanny that lived with us and she only spoke Polish. And mm. I think that was kind of critical and like a really big piece for me to continue speaking Polish because mm-hmm. I had to speak Polish with her. Right. And also on top of it, I went to Polish school and I hated it growing up. And every Saturday (laughs) morning when my friends got to go do their own thing, I had to go to Polish school. I wanted, I really wanted to watch cartoons at home, but no, but that's why I did that for eight years. And then I, and there were a lot of activities that we did that my mom, you know, took us to. And so my sister and I, we went ballroom dancing, but the ballroom Mm -hmm. dancing um, group was led by Polish people. And so because there was such a big Polish community, Polish was very predominant in my life everywhere. Mm-hmm. Um, Serbian, not as much. And my dad wasn't as enthusiastic about putting me into Serbian activities. Not that he didn't want to, he just didn't. didn't um, yeah. And so because of that, Serbian faded over time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and what, so, so, what language yeah. did your parents talk to? each other each other yeah my dad spoke polish to, spoke polish they spoke polish okay yeah my mom did not my mom my mom always understood serbian but she didn't speak serbian but my dad spoke some polish so he spoke mm. polish but i think we kind of spoke all languages it was like a combination between english and polish and serbian and all different things so yeah 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 very multilingual multicultural family there yeah, but, but going back to your question, so starting school mm. was really interesting because I didn't really speak English mm. when I started school. Uh, I learned some English from television, so from Sesame Street, et cetera, but mm-hmm. I, I started off in like lower grades for reading mm. because I didn't speak English yet. Yeah. And um, I had to learn English kind of later in in life and um yeah and it, it was kind of funny like the very first day of school um I met who the girl who's still my best friend today this is you know first grade first day first day of school and 
I was five. She was six. I keep reminding her that she was older (laughs) and she is from the Ukraine and she was born in the Ukraine. And she had a very similar upbringing to mine where she only spoke, you know, she didn't speak English at home either. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her once, I was like, what language did we speak to each other? Like, I didn't really speak English. Right. You didn't really speak English either. Like, did we speak other languages to each other or was it like telepathic communication? Like what, like how, how did that work? You right. Know? It wasn't the language of smiles and, <laughs> and games <laughs> that sometimes don't require, you know, the spoken yeah. language. Yeah. But kids learn so quickly. So like quickly, they pick yeah. up languages so fast, you know, yeah. like I think, I think kids have a lot more capacity mm-hmm. for a learning language than we understand. No, oh, absolutely. And so where are you at today with, with both Polish and Serbian? Yeah, so I, I still speak Polish. Sometimes like now I, you know, forget some words here and there, vocabulary, mm. but it's, um, but it's, I love it. Like I've always really loved foreign languages. Mm-hmm. I, I studied French. Um, I minored in French and I spent time traveling so I could speak French, but I'm really, if I'm immersed in a culture, and it comes back quick because I don't speak as much French now. Mm-hmm. But if when I'm there, like first day, it's like kind of starting to click. Then like by day four, it's like, oh, yeah, I could like like those neural pathways in your brain start reconnecting and you can start having conversations. Oh, absolutely. Like you start opening little drawers, you know, in your, yeah. in your mind. And then the, the words and everything just starts coming back and you start adding yeah. some, some new ones I mean like that's the power of just being in an environment fully immersed with with the language uh, and you also speak Spanish a little bit <laughs> yeah a little bit and I know that one of my favorite memories from our time in DC were uh, the happy hours that you coordinated and that were yeah. for Spanish speakers and when I first learned about this, I was like, this is so cool. Of course, I'm coming <laughs> and I'm inviting friends. And you you were always so good at just coordinating these fun events. Yeah, D.C. was another very multicultural city. Mm. There's a lot there. Oh, I think absolutely. I think that was one of the reasons we, we both loved it and still do. Yeah, definitely. definitely a absolutely. That we love. And so going now to, you know, where you're at today and what you do today so you you describe yourself as an electrical engineer turned embodiment and empowerment coach so I want to I want to learn more about (laughs) about that (laughs) about the journey that led you to where you are today right and your personal journey with uh embodiment and and empowerment yeah so I didn't get started (laughs) how did I get started so it's really interesting. So I would say I'm I'm someone who always had a lot of curiosity um and I always wanted to understand, you know, like why why are we here on this planet? What are we doing here? Who are we really? Mm. You know, I I always had these questions and luckily through my parents, my mom specifically, mm. you know, she exposed me because she was a voracious reader and so she was always reading different things and saying, you know, Monica, come do this and come do that. And so at a very young age, I was exposed to a lot of different topics Mm -hmm. um, to expand my understanding of our world. And, um, but I, but at the same time, I was also like very deep into academics. Like I loved Mm -hmm. school and I loved mathematics. I loved um, 
problem solving. And so for the majority of my life, I really developed the left side of my brain. So the logical, the analytical, the thinking, and I studied electrical engineering, which was great at the time. Later, I worked as an engineer, then I switched to get an MBA and I worked in business for a really long time. But this whole time I was using the wiring on Mm. the left side of my brain. Mm-hmm. And, um, and even though I had these big, huge questions about the world, I, and with all the books and everything I read, it was all from an intellectual knowledge mm-hmm. perspective. Mm-hmm. And I always felt like there was some sort of treasure that I was meant to find. And I'm using treasure in quotation marks that mm-hmm. there was something inside of me always driving me to look for something. And I didn't know what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. Um, and at that point, you know, so I had done a lot of, a lot of work and, um, in 2019, I was really lucky. I was able to take a sabbatical from my corporate job and I Mm -hmm. traveled for five weeks. And during those five weeks, I went to Costa Rica. I went to, um, where'd I go next? I went to Costa Rica. I went to Bali and then I went to Australia so it's it was my own mini version of eat pray love and during this time I really like took a step out of my um normal routine and I've really spent time connecting to myself Mm -hmm. and really connecting to my soul essence and I had some very deep profound experiences with my energetic body, especially my heart space. Mm-hmm. And it was very strong and very profound. And it was like I had connected to a part of myself that I didn't even know existed. And um, after I came back from that experience, I was, I had new questions. And it was like I started to understand. The, or, or I had a glimpse, I should say, into like the energetics of our bodies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I wanted to understand more about what I experienced. And so I was led to um, Kundalini yoga and I, mm-hmm. and I started, I went into teacher training um, because that it was just like, I, I, I was really crazy. I went to take a class and like Kundalini yoga wasn't even on my radar um, and it was like, when I get intuitive messages for me, it's, it feels like someone's tapping my shoulder and they're like, mm-hmm. all right, do this. And then I'll ignore it. And then I'll, it'll come again and it will show <laughs> up in different places and they'll show up like on social media or I'll get a phone call or someone will say something about it. And that's what was happening with Kundalini yoga. And I was like, yeah. okay, fine. I'll go check this out. It's not, um, so did you, did you hear about it through someone or did you, see a a sign like a little (laughs) sign no I had taken a class many many years ago I did a a, like a a yoga retreat in Costa Rica Mm -hmm. but they had they had all sorts of yoga and they had kundalini yoga as one of the options I did one class there I knew Mm -hmm. nothing about it I just took one class and I was like this is cool but I I was still pretty disembodied at that time so Mm -hmm. I didn't really feel the effects of it as much um, right you didn't feel but this time when I came back like it was just like in my awareness and that that's just how I work it's how my intuition works it's like just shows it's I don't even know how to explain it it's like a like an imprint mm-hmm. on my on me I don't it's like it's just there it's like okay look at this and it'll keep showing up until I look at it and if I don't 
it'll get stronger, you know? And so right, I, get stronger. so it was just, I, it showed up and I was like, and it was funny because I was part of class pass at the time and class pass is like a, I don't know if you know what it is, but it had, um, oh, what is it? It's like, if you want to, if you like taking classes, like group classes, mm. then it, you don't have to sign up just at one gym. You, it'll bring like multiple gyms and you sign up through class pass and you could do multiple different group classes at different places and I was already paying for that and I didn't want to pay for something else and so I looked (laughs) up kundalini yoga and class pass and it wasn't there I'm like it's not in class pass so I don't want to do it this is maybe your your logical brain right like well we already have a class pass let's just maximize (laughs) its use and let's not use anything that's not in it right but it kept calling you (laughs) it kept calling me and so I found a place near where I lived I was living in Chicago at the time Mm -hmm. and it said $20 for two weeks. I'm like, okay, I'll try it, you know? And so I went and I sat down and Mm -hmm. I had this overwhelming feeling come over me and it said, you need to teach this. And I was Mm -hmm. like, that's weird. I I don't even know what this is, you know? And so I ignored it again. And then several months later, it kept coming back. It's like, you need (laughs) to like do this teacher training. Yeah. And I was like, okay, fine. Don't have to ask me three times. And so I signed up for teacher training and mm-hmm. I would say the kundalini yoga teacher training it was my first um the first time I really started to learn about embodiment and mm-hmm. how to connect to myself so up until that point everything I had learned was really through it was intellectual it intellectual. was it was through yeah. my my knowledge my my left brain yeah and so this teacher training with kundalini yoga really taught me to get still and how to connect to myself and how to get present mm-hmm. and, so, and so tell us you know for the people who are not really familiar or have never heard of kundalini yoga right what what is that form of yoga how does it differ from something like vinyasa yoga for example right so it's called the yoga of awareness so mm-hmm. Some of the poses can be similar from, you know, similar to Hatha yoga or others. You'll have variations of downward dog and et cetera. But really, Kundalini yoga is more about learning to be still, connecting with your awareness, like observing what is happening in your body, in your field. It uses a combination of movement, breath, mantra meditation mm-hmm. um, and it was just it's a very different style sometimes you'll hold a pose for I don't know 30 minutes or more with your arms up I mean it's not typical in a normal class but I love the aspect of like really challenging yourself and, mm-hmm. and learning to overcome yourself in different ways yeah and so that was really my first foray into um, understanding the energy body and mm-hmm. understanding what embodiment is mm-hmm. and Tell holding more about space. That. What, what is embodiment I know that you if you were asked me I were to ask me I would not be able to explain that so I think you're the perfect person to ask yeah so it means to me it means having awareness of your body mm. and like being plugged into your body plugged into your body So when like in our conversation right now, Mm -hmm. where is my focus and attention? Is it Mm -hmm. just on the words that are coming from my mouth? Is it, you know, from, is it my mind? 
or is it my body? And mm-hmm. I know for most of my life, I spent the majority of my life disembodied and I didn't mm-hmm. know I was disembodied. But once you start doing the inner work and connecting to your body and you're in, so when people talk about meditation, mm. um, a lot of, like, one thing I hear a lot from people is like, I can't meditate. Like mm-hmm. my mind's blah, blah, blah. And so they're trying to um, stop Shut down thinking, their thoughts. Yeah, not thinking. But, but by right? thinking yeah. about stopping thinking. So you're trying to stop thinking by thinking, stop thinking. And when you're in that place trying to stop thinking, it doesn't work. However, if you're embodied and you're meditating and you're feeling your body and so you're in, if you're like sitting there and you're connecting deep to like every cell in your body and you're, you're connected in that space, Mm -hmm. you're not thinking, you're just Mm -hmm. experiencing the joy of Mm -hmm. being in your body. And in the beginning- it's very uncomfortable. This is one of the reasons we're very disembodied is because um, anytime we have any sort of trauma or pain or something that's not addressed, mm-hmm. it gets stored in your body. And your mm-hmm. body is a representation of what's in your subconscious mind. Mm. And so when you're first starting starting embodiment work, it doesn't feel good to be in your body. At least it didn't for me because I didn't there were things that I didn't want to look at or address mm-hmm. that um, I would have to address by connecting to my body. Mm-hmm. And that's where it starts. And so once you start really connecting and you start feeling in different parts, then that allows you to start transmuting different things in your body. And mm-hmm. what happens is you are able to connect to your soul essence, like the Mm. core of who you are. To me, the way I envision it, it's like we're all like bright, shiny suns and stars. Mm -hmm. And that's your heart space and that's your soul essence. And once you start transmuting some of the yucky parts, that beautiful part starts to emanate. And that's why you see some people like they look really radiant, Mm -hmm. like their skin looks young, they start shifting. It's like when you transmute all the parts in your body that are not love, like Mm -hmm. are when you connect love to all those pieces, that's how that happens. And, but, but you need to be embodied to get there, to get there. And and you have to go through the yucky stuff. And then if I'm getting this correctly, it's like, it sounds like part of that journey is first gaining awareness that you have been living in a disembodiment state like first you get there and you're like I didn't even know these right and and kundalini yoga is is something that helped you gain that awareness Mm. there's so many paths to to get there yeah um but it's finding a way for you to be still I mean you can Mm -hmm. even get there you can do it by hiking or or other kinds of another way Mm -hmm. that is really beautiful to get embodied is ecstatic dance and this is something i just discovered here in chattanooga a few ecstatic months ago ecstatic dance Tell oh my god what is this it is the funnest <laughs> thing ever so basically um you got it's... me a dance but now i really want to <laughs> <laughs> so, know more about the other part so basically what it is is that it's like a DJ dance experience. There's often a DJ and amazing music. There's mm-hmm. many, many communities for ecstatic dance across the world. Um, and there's different gatherings and different things. And it's a sacred space on the dance floor. And so um, 
you don't have shoes on the dance floor. There's no eye contact. There's no talking. There's no photos. Mm -hmm. Everyone is there just to move as they please. And so the DJ starts the music and every DJ is a little bit different, but it typically starts really slow and like you're starting to move and then toward like middle there it's like there's like a peak and it's like really fun and it's faster and then and there's different ways there's different ways that you could do it but usually the music's incredible and I went to an experience here maybe four or five months ago and I had no idea what to expect and I show mm-hmm. up and people are sitting on the floor and like moving around I'm like whatever I'm just gonna have fun and then the DJ came on and it was so much fun and I just started moving like I don't care like what anyone Free. thinks I'm yeah. just gonna if I have to stand here and stretch for 10 minutes because that's what feels good I'm gonna do it and the most amazing thing happened all of the sudden like because it's, it's about an hour and a half long and so all mm-hmm. of a sudden all of these answers to my questions started to show up for me and I said, oh, I get it. So it's like all that stagnant energy mm. needs to move mm. so that you can make more space for something new to come in. But that, but that's an example of embodiment. So like uh-huh. I had all that stuff that had to move out of my body. I had to transmute it and I transmuted it through dance and then new fresh ideas and fresh answers. Like I was like inspired with like five different things I wanted to do after that experience. So that, that's fun. amazing. <laughs> it sounds like an experience. I need to come to Chattanooga. Oh, come, you we can go can do that anytime. I will invite you. Oh, yes. I love that. <laughs> I, th- I think that would be a great getaway from like the winter in Chicago to also just go get my energy flowing and come Absolutely. back, you know, with renewed energy and inspiration, and just receiving, receiving new energy to just shine. <laughs> I love that, Monica. And so um talking about like dancing and amazing music I know you also have a really inspiring journey with your own music and your own creative side can you share that with us yes so this is where the embodiment comes in um so as I mentioned most of my life I spent in the left hemisphere of my brain and the logical thinking and analytical thinking. Um, I was someone, so the, the three things I was always good at growing up, I was good at mathematics, learning languages, and music. Mm. But from a music, but it was it was all about pattern recognition. So like if it had a pattern or structure, like I could figure out what that pattern was and I could do it, right? And so same thing with music. But with music, you know, I grew up playing piano, like classical mm. music, like Suzuki method and it was all memorizing mm-hmm. the way it was in the book. And mm-hmm. so I had learned I could, you know, follow the notes and memorize it and practice it a million times and make, you know, make it sound as perfect as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's also kind of left brain activity. Mm-hmm. That's not your right brain creativity. Even though, even though I played music, it wasn't my own creation. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I thought that it was absolutely impossible for me to learn to write my own music or Mm. to be creative in that way. In fact, I would have told you prior to 2019 that I was not creative. I actually told people that I'm like, I'm not a creative person. I don't have that in me. And I had no idea what creativity even was and how Mm -hmm. that was defined. And I remember speaking to one woman 
it was a reading or something. And I told her, I'm not creative. And she's like, yes, you are. She's like, even in your corporate job, when you're coming up with PowerPoint presentations mm. or Excel spreadsheets or all those different things, that's, that's creativity. I'm like, that's mm-hmm. not creativity. That's not music or art, but she's like, it is, you have it. You're just applying it a different way. And that was the first time new thoughts or ideas about creativity started to open up for me. Mm-hmm. And so then when I had my sabbatical in 2019, like I said, I really took a break from my routine and I did a lot of inner work and I really started to connect with myself. And I learned how to be still because mm-hmm. the, to be, so, so to be creative, you need to be still enough to receive information. Mm-hmm. And up until that point, my mind was ruling my brain. It was ruling everything. Like mm-hmm. there was so much activity happening in my head that I never stopped to even let anything in, but I didn't know how to, because I never practiced it because I had grown up in, you know, like all, like all my years studying, all my years working. It was all about how to use your left brain. Mm-hmm. And And so finally, after this sabbatical experience, I had a glimpse into what it felt like to be really still and to receive. And um, I remember going back to my guitar teacher after I came back from my trip and I told him, I said, I think I really want to write a song. And he said, great. He said, well, do you want me to write it with you? Mm-hmm. Or do you want me to hold the space and then you do it? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I wanted to say the first one and it terrified me to say the second one, but I was like the second one, like, it's really scary to me to say yeah. this, but I think the second one, and he said, okay. And so he held the space and I was sitting there with my guitar. He's like, play. And I'm like, I don't know what to play. He's like, play whatever, you know? And so I was holding my guitar and I would sing, like a note came out of my mouth and I strummed something. And I'm like, it's bad right away. Right, <laughs> right away. away I said, yeah. <laughs> I said, it's bad. Mm. And then I noticed something and I don't, I, I was like, wow, like there is this expression that wants to come out of me. Mm. And by me saying that immediately, I shut it down from like I didn't even allow it to turn into anything mm-hmm. because because I shut it down right away. Right. You you just put the barrier right there. Yeah. And so Close that's that's why when it you know when we talk about mindset and we talk about how powerful our mind is, mm-hmm. it seems so intangible that you can't touch it. Like how could your mind like really control all these different things? Mm-hmm. But it's all energy. Mm-hmm. And so literally the signal coming out of me was blocked by mm-hmm. my thought. And that's mm-hmm. how powerful your, your brain can be. And I made the conscious decision. I said, no, we're not playing this anymore. We're not playing this game anymore. We're going to play a new game and we're going to play. I don't care how stupid this song sounds. We're going to write this song. Yeah. And, so it was a turning uh, point there. You're, you're just through a conscious decision. It was a major turning point. Yeah. And I, but it took learning to be aware mm. of that thought because right. I think that's the first step is sometimes we 
can't see, like we're moving so fast mm -hmm. that we can't see those thoughts. Oh, we totally. Because they're, they're being them. generated so fast too. Yeah. So yeah. that's why any kind of work that you can do to get still and get back to the center of yourself is important so that you can catch it. Because if you're not slowing down, you won't see it. Right. Yeah. yeah. And you have to connect with that ability that, that we all have, right? If, if you manage to get still and, and reach that space of stillness, then you connect with that ability of being an observer, right? Of that yes. That, that you created yourself, right? And, and that you can either feed and it becomes like a bigger barrier to your creative expression in this case, or you just toss it to the side, right? Nip it at the butt before it becomes even bigger. And then you're like, there's something here that, that needs to come out and express itself. Exactly, mm. yeah. And then yeah, what so happened? <laughs> yeah, so at this point, um, so... One of the interesting things I learned is um, I came from a world, many worlds in my upbringing, where I was learned to do things in a linear way. So mm. you, there's 10 steps to a process. You follow steps one through 10 and you finish the project, whatever it is. Mm. And that's what had been ingrained in me my whole life. Um, songwriting and creativity was not that. Mm -hmm. It's It was completely nonlinear. And so... It was like other circuits had to open up in my body and in my brain to enable this other kind of expression. And so what I learned with songwriting, it was learning how to get into that state. So it was kind of like, it was like the songs that I wanted to write already existed somewhere mm. in some, in some parallel reality somewhere it existed. And it was about me tuning into it and bringing it in. Mm -hmm. And so once I decided what kind of song I wanted to write, then like I would just pay attention and things would show up in my world. And I would say, I would read a book and there's a sentence in there that made sense. Or I would, you know, talk to someone and there was something that made me think of whatever. Or I'd like, I would like wake up. A lot of times it happens in my dream state. Like I'll wake up, you know, that, that time between sleeping and dreaming, mm. like, like where you're, I mean, between dreaming and waking up like that mm -hmm. hour before you wake up a lot of times like things show up then and like I'll have melodies or, or other things that come up and um and so it was like I would pull in pieces not in the right order into mm -hmm. this creation that I was making and I learned that to create something I had to give it space it kind mm -hmm. of had be turned into its own like living thing that you had to, that I had to learn to feed and to like love and grow mm -hmm. into whatever it needed to become. And it was just for me, a really beautiful experience and, and a shocking experience that like I could actually do something that I could be in this completely different energetic state to create something like like I'm not kidding when I said that my creativity stopped at Excel spreadsheets before because that's all I believed. Yeah. And so the fact that someone who was so such a linear thinker like me could change mm -hmm. um, was so surprising and so like satisfying. And it really, you know, there it makes me think about human potential and mm -hmm. what it is that we could turn into. Cause really I think the the opportunities are limitless. 
just hearing you talk about these and and I I get you know the the privilege that I can also see you because we're doing these on zoom but our <laughs> listeners won't get <laughs> won't get that but you are beaming as you are telling this story of transformation you know and letting yourself express what needed to come out out of the essence of who you are and so it's so inspiring to hear you and and I'm sure many of the people who are listening are also getting that energy of inspiration in their hearts. Um, what would you tell some people who are listening and who are still just kind of getting these thoughts like, well, that's not me and I can't be creative like that. How can they, you know, get themselves on this journey of transformation to get somewhere else, somewhere different that feels like something they don't even know yet that they can feel? I would say you have nothing to lose. Hmm. And I would say that the path that we're taken on sometimes doesn't make sense, but everything that you're being taught or everything you're being drawn to do is a stepping stone to the next thing. And, you know, so sometimes, you know, like, for example, when I did my Kundalini yoga teacher training, I had because I had that big heart experience and I was like, chakras are real. I want you to teach me all the ins and outs of all the chakras because that's mm-hmm. like really fascinating to me. But at that time in my life, that's not what I was meant to mm-hmm. learn. I was meant to learn to be still and I was meant to learn to teach and to hold space. Mm-hmm. And so after that experience, I was like, okay, well, that's why I did that. So that was important for the other things that are going to come to follow in my life. And so Sometimes you may be led to an experience or an opportunity and you don't know why exactly you're doing it, but if you are led to it and it feels good and it, you know, sometimes, sometimes it may not always feel amazing, you know, mm-hmm. but it's the, it's the next step to what will make you feel amazing. Mm-hmm. So just don't discount um, any of it. Be grateful for where you are and just trust and believe that you're being guided to what is right for you. Monica, before we go, I have a few fun questions I want to ask you. Could you please share with us a favorite word in your native first language? Sure. So my native first language was Polish, and I love this word, and it's very hard to to pronounce, um, but what it means is there's no translation in English, really. It's um, to get through something. Mm. So if, if you have like a really hard task in front of you and you really like, there's no way around it. Like you just kind of have to like go forward and conquer like what's in front of you. And um, I've just always liked it. And I think sometimes in life to get to, like with my whole ex- experience learning to transition to write music, I had to do that. I had to apply that in my life to go through the discomfort part of not believing myself into a, a new place. And so, so that's just a word I've always really liked and it comes up here and there to help explain our experiences. Do you also have a favorite word in another language you speak maybe? French or Spanish or English or even Serbian? I'll have to think about other languages. I do have mm-hmm. another one in, in po- Polish. It's I always mm-hmm. love how there's sometimes yeah, words 
that don't have a translation. Mm-hmm. Um, but another one in Polish is Pieszczoch, which is like my little dog, which means like someone who likes to cuddle. But it's like, <laughs> there's, it's hard to really explain, but it's like my dog is the little puppy who will come in your lap and she like wants you to pet her and love mm-hmm. her. And it's that, that explanation of what, what that is. Oh, that's cute. Can can you say that of of uh, people as well? Um, or no. experiences. It's really more for like animals or like yeah. I love learning uh, you know, words in in other languages, especially the ones I don't speak. Especially the ones as you were describing these that are have like the untranslatable words. Yeah, in all languages have a few of but those. Sometimes gems. you need to you need like. The, yeah <laughs> five five words to explain the one other word and still not the same mm-hmm. absolutely and monica if you could talk to your past self what action or decision would you thank her for today i would say that i'm grateful for a collection of decisions that's and that's going for it every single time and believing in myself because it goes back to my the story with my mom where she moved to America and she had that strong mindset that she was going to become a doctor in America um that kind of belief in herself I learned to apply it to myself and know that if I take the risks and I apply myself then um then I'll be okay and I will have improved or transformed in some way because of it. I'm walking away from our conversation feeling so inspired to go for it in many things in my life as well. One of them being the creative aspects of it. And that, for example, is the podcast and some other other hobbies that I have in my life, like piano playing and even baking. And just, I will keep in mind some of these gems that you have shared with us. Thank you so much, Monica, for being here with us today. I really enjoy our conversation and I hope we can see you back for another Thank episode. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. Bye, Monica. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Before you go, please rate it. Give it five stars if you enjoyed it and leave a written review to let us know what resonated with you the most. If you're interested in working with coach Monica Stevanovic, know that she's currently offering one-on-one coaching sessions. To find out more details, follow her on Instagram at harmonic.hearts and send her a message or you could also email her directly. You can find all of her contact information in the episode notes. Thank you again for choosing to spend this moment of your life with us today. Until next time, may life flow in the best possible way for you and every one of us. I'm Katerina, and this was the Being Well Between Cultures podcast. By the way, are you already following the podcast? No? Subscribe and follow to get notified when new episodes come out. And remember, share this podcast with your family, friends, and colleagues to help the Being Well Between Cultures community grow and touch another person's life. Mm